it just means you can't just wake up every morning and assume today is going to be like yesterday because very slowly and very subtly all our todays have been very different to our yesterdays for quite some time now around the fringes and gradually that's becoming a more and more apparent to more and more investors and they're doing something with their capital they're making decisions they're making adjustments they're making changes to their portfolio and eventually the fact that today is constantly different to yesterday dawns on enough people that you get this sudden shift and everybody tries to get on the other side of the boat and that's that's the thing you want to avoid you want to make those decisions before that kind of um that, that occurs to to the majority of investors Thanks for joining us for part two of our interview with macro analyst Grant Williams. If you haven't yet watched part one of our discussion with Grant, in which he details how the coming era of high inflation is going to create a bizarro world for investors that will be much more challenging to navigate than the past few decades, head over to our channel at youtube.com slash Wealthian and watch it there first. It sets the context for the investment perspective that Grant and I, as well as our partners at New Harbor Financial share in this video. And please take a moment to support this channel by first liking this video and then clicking the red subscribe button below as well as that little bell icon right next to it. Doing so is easy and it does help this channel reach a lot more viewers. Okay, let's get started watching part two of our interview with Grant Williams. You know, we do love to, to assume that something flips on December 31st, right? And okay, what happens in 2022? Go back to 2018. And remember the end of that year when everyone was sitting here talking about, well, what does 2019 hold in store for us? You know, we saw the biggest fall in the S&P in December um, that I think we'd ever seen. In fact, going back to the Great Depression, you know, and that forced the Fed in to do, to do a U-turn, you know, this Christmas Eve massacre. So um, the market's not going to wait until Jan 1, 2022 to, to kind of move in a new direction or, or, or have new um, uh, forces decide where it's going to go. And people need to understand that as well. Uh, going forward from, you know, we're recording this on what, December 6th, going forward from December 7th, um, assume it's Jan 1, right? Just think of tomorrow as, as the first day because these forces aren't going away. You know, you, you spoke there about, about um, accommodation liquidity, Adam. I think it's, this liquidity idea, again, is a very important concept to understand. We've been awash with liquidity. And, and what happens when rates go up, and you talked about if the Fed would ever taper, the central banks would love to get rates up. They would love to get rates up if they can. They're going to do everything they can to get rates up, um, even if they end up moving them by one basis point a day in the hope that they can just continually edge this thing up without people noticing. I don't know. They would love to get rates higher. Um, but liquidity dries up. When rates go higher, liquidity dries up. And these markets have surfed higher on a wave, an ocean of liquidity. And you take that away. And again, it's just one of these forces in Bizarro World that, that, that is 180 degree to reversal from what we've, what we've gotten used to. So look, I, I, I just can't stress this enough, this idea of being responsible for your portfolio and, and being responsible for it it may only need one decision. That's the beauty of it. It doesn't have to be a scary thing. As I said, it may be, let, let's, let's say you look at this, you listen to me, you listen to you, you listen to Lacey and Dave Rosenberg, and you decide, you know what, inflation, ah, transitory, it's going away. You probably don't have any decisions to make, which is great, but that's your responsibility. If you 
listen to this and you believe from anecdotal evidence you're seeing in the grocery store or anywhere else for that matter that inflation is going to be a problem, again, you may only have one decision to make, which is who do I want to manage my money if inflation is the problem? And I'm pretty sure it won't be, it, by his own admission, you know, Lacey Hunt and Van Huysen have been the best money managers for deflation for 40 years. I'm sure they'd be the first to tell you, we're not your guys for inflation. Uh, you know, And so it doesn't mean they're bad managers. It means it's not their kind of environment. So again, take responsibility for that decision. Don't just have it with a manager who's done really well and then start wondering why the hell my returns aren't doing so well. The world's changed and the world is changing by the day. On every facet, put inflation aside, it's changing politically, right? Society's changing. There, there are so many changes happening right now. Um, on, on every level of this three-dimensional chess game that we play every day, that you, you'd be crazy to miss that. And, and so it, it just means you can't just wake up every morning and assume today's gonna to be like yesterday. Because very slowly and very subtly, all our todays have been very different to our yesterdays for quite some time now around the fringes. And gradually that's becoming a more and more apparent to more and more investors. And they're doing something with their capital. They're making decisions, they're making adjustments, they're making changes to their portfolio. And eventually the fact that today is constantly different to yesterday dawns on enough people that you get this sudden shift and everybody tries to get on the other side of the boat. And that's, that's the thing you want to avoid. You want to make those decisions before that kind of um, that, that occurs to, to the majority of investors. Okay. So we're going to have the guys from New Harbor, which is the financial advisory firm that joins me every week on this program that talk about the markets in a moment. Uh, we're going to have them on in a bit. Their check to you is going to be in the mail, Grant, because you've done the best <laughs> job in, in explaining why you need uh, or the value of an active portfolio manager that takes all of these uh, trends into account. Um, but uh, so key question for you. So um, for those people who see the same arc ahead as you do and think inflation has suddenly become more of a worry um, and they're concerned that the markets could correct as well in this period, the way in which you've said could happen, what are your thoughts on cash? Because obviously a simple way to de-risk is just to move to cash. Um, but obviously in a high inflationary environment, that cash is eating into the, or the inflation's eating into the purchasing power of that cash. So what are your thoughts on cash at this, this moment in the story? Look, like everything, Adam, this is a question of time frame, right? I mean, if I was to tell you that uh, you're gonna have 10% inflation next year, right? Um, and you were in cash, that sounds like a terrible trade. But if I was to tell you at some point in the next year, the stock market was gonna get cut in half, but you need that cash in order to be able to buy it. It's going to be cut off for one day. Suddenly, it's a great trade. So again, you know, cash isn't static. Having an allocation to cash now is, I think, very sensible. I think it's been sensible to have cash for the longest time. Now, you would have done better being fully invested in the stock market. That's fine. But for me, it's a risk-reward issue, right? Um, so right now, if you, if you think that this inflationary problem is going to happen, um, you think it's going to be, let's call it long-term transfer. Let's say it's going to last for two or three years. Then you have to do something about it, right? You have to have a plan for these next two or three years, even if you think deflation is the ultimate game. So looking at 5% inflation, does it make sense to have your cash 
to have a, a, an escalated cash holding for a year, 5% inflation. Well, if you think about that as an option, if you think there's a chance that the market could get cut 20, even 20%, would you pay 5% to have an option to step in and buy it down 20%? You probably would, right? So it, it, there is no simple answer to this, you know, and, and it's funny when you have these conversations with people, they, they want to kind of skip to the end and ask for the recommendations. What should I do? What stock should I buy? What, what's going to make me money in this environment? And it just isn't that easy. It, it's, it's been pretty easy over these last number of years because of all the things we talked about, the Fed put, the liquidity, the one-way direction of equity markets, the one-way direction of bond markets. It's been pretty easy, right? But when you get to these inflection points and you say, okay, suddenly you know, everything's going to change. The Fed are going to be looking to taper. Rates are going to want to go up. Inflation is going to take over from deflation. Leverage is going to become problematic. There isn't a simple answer. There just isn't. As much as I'd love to give one to everybody, I wish I had a simple answer for myself. And that's where this, this, the importance of risk management comes in because the, the risk that you've been having to deal with has been, as it turns out, pretty low over these last uh, few years. So the amount of risk management you've had to do has also been pretty low. As the risks escalate, risk management goes up, and that's when people need help. That's when it gets tough to make decisions on your own, particularly if you've, you know, if you're a forty-year-old, you don't know any different. You know, forties just not you're not a spring chicken if you're forty. Tell me, as a fifty-four-year-old, I know that um, you're not young, but you've only had one experience during your entire investment career. Yeah, a tailwind so, if you're back the whole time. Right. So you are going to need to either do a lot of reading and understand what happened in the 60s and 70s and post-war and, and other periods, 20s and 30s, and figure out for yourself what the new risks you might face are, or you need to find managers who understand them and really understand them, right? Um, and, you, and you don't just pick a manager. You talk to them and you ask them to explain to you what happened, what are the risks we face. You know, this is, it's so important, and yet, People want the soundbite. People want the, okay, so I, I understand the last hour. What stock should I buy? And I'm afraid we're beyond that point. We're beyond that point where I can tell you to buy Apple calls or you know, sell Tesla puts. or It's just not that simple anymore. And the, and the sooner people realize that, the more chance they've got of avoiding this, this choppy water between deflation and inflation and being caught in the wrong side of it when, when this takes off. For however long it, it takes hold. Yeah, and, and, and so Grant, I appreciate so much what you're doing here because you're delivering the hard truth to folks, which is um, we are switching. What you're basically saying is, look, um, anybody who recommended the trend in the past couple of decades, um, it was an easy job. Just, just buy stocks and stay long. Right? No, I, no, I, no, but no, it wasn't just an easy job. It was, it was great advice. Right. Well, it, it worked. Great too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, it was simple it's, advice it's that worked. To make that distinction, it was, exactly. It was simple, right? Right. But, 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 but I think the important flip side of that is is it created a complacency uh, amongst the, in the system that this is just going to last forever, right? And what you're saying is, is yeah. you know, entering a new era, and, and really what you're saying, what's going forward, it's most important going forward now is a framework, right? You're going to need a way to navigate all these different cross currents of bizarro world. There isn't a trend to just say, just get behind this and you're going to be fine. Right. You need yeah, a framework exactly that basically right. lets you make intelligent decisions here, uh, which, again, is why it, 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 it advi the right kind of advisor makes so much sense. Um, all right. So uh, that said, we do have a lot of people you know, watching this that are that are you know, trying to say, great, this all makes sense. I just want to make sure 
you know, I, I'm, I'm increasing my odds of making it through this. Okay. So clearly listening to you, it's don't assume the future is going to resemble the past, get a good coach. No, basically. No, assume it's not. I think it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's I don't want to be a, a pedant about it, but I think it's important. It's not, don't assume it's assume it's not because if you don't assume you get complacent, if you assume it's not, you have to take action and, and think it through. Great, great distinction. So assume it's not going to, if you decide that you don't have the skill set, experience, wisdom, et cetera, to chart your course in the, the new environment, which honestly very few people have, I don't even believe my confidence to do it myself, get a good advisor. You know, your job basically is trying to pick the right quarterback going forward who's, who's going to help you get through this. That said, there are likely going to be, um, uh, you know, we talked about maybe a shift from high-flying growth, you know, uh, speculative stocks, maybe going back more towards income plays, et cetera. Um, there are going to be some areas that that probably should be better suited for this bizarre world you're talking about. And I, I want to dial into one or two of them just to get your feedback. Um, so if you look, so hard assets, um, especially um, the company, so commodities should do well in an inflationary regime. Hard assets should, should appreciate better um, or at least protect purchasing power. Um, and then the companies that, that, produce them, mine them, whatever, um, that can generate cash flows um, seem to be a good place to look at. Um, you mentioned miners being one of the few fairly valued places right now. I've had guys on recently talking about the, the gold uh, and silver mining companies themselves. That industry looks better positioned for the type of future you're talking about than I think it's ever been, um, given how that industry has sort of cleaned itself up and what's happened with the underlying commodities themselves. Uh, thoughts on hard assets and the companies that produce them. Do you share my sentiment? Do you think it's different? Well, look, generally speaking, as I say, we go back to this bizarre world idea. Um, look for things that have been unloved in the last 10 years, and you don't have to look much further than commodities, right? Now, the, the caveat to that, as we're talking about, if, there, if we are in a stagflationary environment, then the economy is not going to be doing so well. We'll, Economic demand demand, for the commodities may go down, right? What will the the economic demand for the commodities be, right? It may not be as strong as you think. Um, But if we are in inflationary times, generally speaking, hard assets are a great place to be because if you've got a hard asset, you you tend to demand more bits of funny paper money to to let go of it. So... um, yeah, I think commodities. But again, you know, this, this idea that, sim- that, that, that this is simple. You talk about silver and gold miners. That's a that's a very broad basket of it is many political locations, jurisdictions, management qualities, balance sheets. There are so many complications to this. And you know, for the last twenty years, it's been uh, buy the ETF, you know, buy, buy the GDX, and you'll be fine. And look. Yeah, you, 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 you probably, if you believe that gold mining stocks are going to do well, own the GDX. That's, that's absolutely fine. Uh, or the GDXJ if you, you know, if you, if you, if you don't like sleeping. But, um, but, but there, there is another layer to this, right? There's another layer to this that if you want to invest, speak to some companies that, that manage precious metals funds, right? That, that, that can actually, um, produce much, much higher returns because they don't buy all the dogs that happen to be in the, the, the basket. They actually understand which companies will outperform. They can put relative trades on. You know, there, there is a way to make much better returns if you're prepared to do that work. But if you're not, the, the, the ETS will be fine. You know, agricultural commodities, look at what's happening 
in those. Look at the price of um, of uh, fertilizer, fertilizer stocks. You know, again, there, there there are plenty of plays around this this real asset side that <coughs> excuse me that that will likely do very very well. But it's not as simple as saying, yeah, buy real assets. You know, because look at what's happening in uranium recently. Uh, you know, that's a very technical. Um, situation with this Sprott fund buying a lot of physical uranium, taking that off the market. Um, we've seen things happening in the uranium markets that suggest one thing, but probably don't mean exactly what people think if they just look at it at face value. Natural gas is another one. You know, there are so many different aspects to the natural gas market in terms of pricing differentials between Europe and the US and um, you know, shipping rates and political discussions between Russia and Germany that could affect the price. It's not just as simple as get long nat natural gas, because which where are you going to buy your natural gas? You're going to buy in Europe, you're going to buy in the US, which contract you're going to So we're at a point where the starting point should be look for things, if we are in bizarro world, that have been unloved. And you will find plenty of them in the natural resources space, trust me. But then it comes down, okay, I've got some work to do now. How do I want to do it? Do I buy an ETF, which as I say, should be fine? Do I look for a credentialed manager that I think will perform well for me in these conditions? Yeah, there's plenty of them out. There's some really good ones out there. Do I investigate companies myself and try and understand, you know, something like Gazprom, right? The Russian gas company. As soon as you say Russian, people go, oh, no, 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 no. I'm not even going to tell people anything about Gazprom because it, it, it would be more interesting for them to go and look at the valuation of Gazprom. Look at what you're buying if you buy a share in Gazprom. Forget that it's Russian. Assume that it was a, 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 a gas company in another country. Take a look at their business. Take a look at their balance sheet and tell me that isn't a company that you would think, wow, if that was trading in Canada or if it's trading in America. Now, there is a very definite reason why the valuation is different because Russia, but it's a global company, right? This is a, this is this is not a tiny little provincial Russian company anymore. It's a global company, and even though it's in Russia, it really is going to tend to have to play by international rules, which gives you a much bigger safety cushion from a lot of things happening that that can happen to you when you invest in, in Russian equities. But but again, you know, as I say, we're, we're at a point. And I cannot stress this enough. And I'm really sorry if I'm flogging a dead horse here, but responsibility. You know, we all need to take responsibility for the decisions we're going to make now and for the next six months to two years. Who knows? Because the, the world is, is changed. Yeah. And, and what you're also putting your finger on too, Grant, is it goes back to the active management part, but it's, it's we are moving from a, an era where, again, there were a ton of uh, tailwinds and the trend was your friend. Um, and in that environment, kind of all boats rise, right? And we're now entering a, a world where that's not going to be the case. And the old school um, investing, you know, you, you switch from spec easy speculation now to investing. And investing is the roll up your sleeves, hard work of within this sector that has good prospects. What are the good companies and what are the dogs and how do I invest in the good companies? And that takes work, right? And I think investors have really fallen out of practice in that because you haven't really had to do the works. No matter what company you bought in the sector, they all kind of did okay. So, you know, you're, you're, it's an element of what you're talking about, but, but we're, we're at the point where, you know, 
sure, you can buy the ETF if you think the sector is going to benefit from, but the real returns are going to accrue to the people that are doing the hard work to actually try to find out, hey, is this a good company for the right reasons? And the gas prop ones is a great example, um, both of, of that, uh, of just digging in and actually understanding the company itself. But also something else, which Jim Rickards um, was uh, really harping on in a recent discussion I had with him, which is diversification. He said, diversification in this new future is your friend. And it was really clear on not just diversifying asset classes, but diversifying risk exposure. And you know, adding a company like a, a, you know, a Gazprom uh, to your portfolio, um, it does give you some geopolitical diversification. Right. And, you know, Rick Rule in, in, in listing through his top kind of, you know, best performing the, the miners that he thinks are, are going to perform the best in the long run. Two of them are Russian companies. And kind of like you, he said, yeah, you, you're immediately your immediate gut reaction is to dismiss them because they're Russian. But he said, I think these are actually the two best mining companies I know of. They yeah. just happen to be located in Russia. And he said, for me as an investor, that's actually a plus because it gives me added diversification of risk on top of the opportunity I see there. I see you nodding while I'm saying that. Yeah. yeah, no, 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 absolutely right. And uh, listen, you, you, if we are, as I suspect, in an environment where commodities are going to do well, you could do a lot worse than listen to Rick Roll, let me tell you. That's that's one thing I <laughs> that's guarantee you. Very good point. All right. Well, look, Grant, uh, thank you for giving us so much of your time. I got a couple last questions I want to squeeze in. Let's consider this lightning round. You don't have to give long answers, just bing, bang, bong. But, but ones I want to make sure that I know the audience wanted me to ask you about. Um, and I apologize because some of these could deserve an entire podcast on their own. But if I can just get your minute reaction to them, maybe China, uh, China right now is is has been in the process of changing its rules. Um, and that is uh, super interesting um, you know, in the fact that the, you know, the communist country out there is actually the one that's that's seems to be right now. Um, uh, most comfortable with letting kind of the chips fall where they may <laughs> uh, and, you know, taking a harder uh harder edge and kind of trying to clean up the excesses that have been going on uh, inside its economy. That also puts the world at risk, though. We have the potential of contagion from, you know, big potential failures going on there, like with the Evergrands of the world. When you look towards the future, what role do you see China playing in terms of how things fall out? Adam, you and me are mates, and you want to throw China into life. <laughs> no, but people would be Seriously? totally on my case if I didn't ask you about it. Come on. I, look, there is. There, look, I, I, I'm not ducking it. There is no quick answer to China. There's no. There's no quick soundbite answer okay. to China because that will get you in a lot of trouble. On the net side, is it going to be a destabilizing factor, or do you think a, a factor for order? But this is this, this is my point. Both, right? It's going to be both. It's not just going to be one stable bad actor, good actor. It's not. I mean, look at what's, what it's done in the last five years, right? It's been. It's been good. It's been bad. It's been. You know stabilizing effect it's been uh, it's once trump got into power it became the enemy yeah the saber rattling china you, there is to, no, to, yeah, totally there, unfair question totally how about this how concerned are you just on a threat level of contagion from what's going on there right now inside of its uh you know real estate market which is the largest asset market in the world no it, it it's it's a potential threat there is no two ways about it um uh, do I know enough to tell you what that threat level is? Of course I don't. I mean, there, there are people who spend their entire careers studying distressed debt in China that couldn't tell you what the threat level is for contagion. We, we, you know, we just don't know. But assuming that it doesn't matter that the biggest property developer in China with $250 billion of debt is going to default, assuming that doesn't matter, 
is, I think, a dangerous assumption. You know, past that, we can argue all day long about whether it might have contagion outside China. It very well could do. But look, I can't handicap that for you, I'm afraid. Okay, no worries. Uh, and I've got two layup questions for you, but I got one other completely unreasonable one in the time frame we have. Cryptos. Save that for last. Cryptos. Do you have one? You Man, know. you are killing me. <laughs> You're saving China and crypto for the lightning round. This is awesome. Okay. All right. Crypto. Is that the question? Just crypto? Just crypto. Just react. Yeah. Uh, look, I, again, you know, crypto is a subject that I'm fascinated by. I am the first to admit that my level of knowledge is nowhere near what it needs to be to be someone who opines on it with authority. I, I tend to ask question, uh, questions about crypto rather than give opinions. You know, that's, that's where I am. I, I want to know more about it. And I don't presume to ever pretend like I'm any kind of authority to talk to on crypto. I have, I have an understanding of what its benefits could be, but I have so many questions that I, I want answers to before I feel like it's a suitable investment for me. Um, you know, I, I hope everybody rides it up. I hope everybody gets their money off the table at the top and they all get fabulously richer. Obviously, it can't happen. But for me, uh, it, it's not something that I'm short of a, a, a tiny, 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 tiny investment in that I've been into and out of and back in again. Um, it, it's not something that I have any kind of active involvement in. Okay. And, and honestly, Grant, that was a phenomenal answer because um, most of the people that are watching this video are on the older side and they don't understand what's going on in crypto. Um, and their question, they is am i missing out because i have no clue what's going on yeah, this, I know. I, Adam, on, on that on that basis let, let me address that though because i think it's really important and, and let me say to those people you just described it's absolutely fine right just because the price is going up uh and just because your hairdresser or your barber or the guy who cuts your lawn is getting rich in crypto it's okay right because look at what's happened in the last three days and Generally speaking, when you are in something that you don't fully understand, you tend to get panicked out of it in all the wrong places because suddenly you get a 24, 48 hours like we've just had in crypto. And when the price goes down 30% in two days, you will suddenly become acutely aware of how little you know about this thing and you tend to dump it, right? Whereas if you are deep in the weeds and you you've invested all this time in understanding it, there's more chance that you're going to maybe average down or you're going to have a more comfort with what it's doing and not be panicked out. So to, to the people you described who are older and don't understand Bitcoin, it's okay. You know, I, I talked to Tony Deed, my great friend about this, and his answer was perfect. He said, look, it's just not suitable for me. And it's okay for an investment that everyone's talking about to not be suitable for you. Don't be afraid to say that and feel like I'm missing out on something here because what you've missed out on the last two days is fantastic. Grant, thank you for that. I think that is the comfort that I think a lot of these people watching this video right now uh, have been looking for. The only thing I was gonna add to what you said is, you know, I have tried to understand it to the best I can uh, over the course of this year, not having really been a keen follower. And I know, that you are a much smarter gentleman than me, Grant, but that you have focused a lot more in this than I am. And to hear that you're still at the stage where you don't feel like you've got a, a, a good of enough command to, to really be forceful one way or the other in terms of how you're gonna invest yourself, you know, just reinforces for me, you know what? It's okay to sit on the sidelines with crypto because 
it's a complicated it subject. I will tell folks watching that uh, Grant did a absolutely phenomenal uh, podcast digging deep into Tether, which is a stable coin. We do not have time to get into that uh, to do justice, but um, it, it uh, Grant, maybe I'll let you say just sort of 10 seconds about why that's an important topic, but I highly, highly recommend that folks that have any interest in the crypto space, go listen to that podcast. Yeah, it's it's uh, you can find it. It's uh, it's on it's on the website grantwilliams.com. You can find it in my podcast in the Apple Store. It's 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 I put it out in front of the paywall so everybody could listen to it. Um, look, Tether is a sixty plus billion dollar um, let's call it a component of the crypto market, and it's uh, it's the grease between the wheels of crypto and fiat. And there are plenty of signs that all may not be what it seems with Tether. And if that were to be the case it could be catastrophic for the cryptocurrency market. So I wanted to understand more about it. And I, again, as I tend to do, I wanted to ask questions to people who understand it a lot better than me. And the answers I got were, um, for me, frankly, terrifying. For other people, they won't care about it. But uh, listen for yourself and, and judge. But it's, it's a fascinating story, if nothing else. All right, thank you. All right, so last two questions. These are the layups. Um, one of the podcasts you've done that's gotten I think the most views and the most positive feedback over the years is one with Anthony Dedane. Did I pronounce his last name? Right? Tony Deaton. Yeah, Tony Deaton. Tony, yeah. Tony Deaton. Um, so I had a number of people ask, um, what was the best lesson that you learned from Tony Deaton? I know you've learned <laughs> many, but like, what's what's a big takeaway oh, that man. you just keep at the forefront of your mind? Adam, I'm telling you, man, you, you have saved <laughs> questions for the, for the speed round. That, I mean, listen, I, I could talk to you for six weeks about Tony Deaton. He's... Um, He's a dear friend, an extraordinary mentor. And um, look, frankly, the best, the best advice I can give people is go watch that interview. It's, it's, uh, I did it with, during my days at Real Vision. Um, you'll find it on YouTube. If you search my name and Tony's, uh, Tony and, or Anthony, I think it's D-E-D-E-N. Um, it's, it's a two and a half hour conversation. And that can be daunting to a lot of people. You don't have to watch it in one go. But I think if you sit and listen to Tony, and I, the good news is for that two and a half hours, he probably speaks for two hours and 25 minutes of it, which is about the right ratio. And, and you, will, you will learn lessons of your own. That, that, you know, the greatest things that Tony's taught me have come not only from that interview, but the, the many hours and days that I've spent in his company talking to him and listening to him. Um, but in that two and a half hour conversation, I promise you there is enough wisdom in there from Tony to, to keep you going for a long, long time. And, you, and you'll understand exactly why people are asking about him and about um, what I learned from him, because he's a he's a remarkable man. Great. Well, I, I, I really wanted to ask that question because because folks, you know, Grant is a is a big mentor of mine. And I'm always uh, looking to see who are the people who are the mentors that are influencing the thinking of my mentors. And uh, so if you get a chance to go watch that interview with Tony, you absolutely should. Last question for you, Grant. Geez, I hope this is a layup, which is um, you're a big music fan. You're a big Beatles fan. Uh, I know you just watched the Peter Jackson uh, Get Back docuseries on the filming of the Let It Be album. Um, reaction to it? You know what? I, I have very deliberately watched the first part and I every day since I finished it, I've stopped myself watching the second part because I just want this to go on forever I, I you know it the, the first part was two odd hours and during that time there were periods where nothing happened and I I loved every single second of sitting there as a fly on the wall and I think you know Peter Jackson's done us all a remarkable favor just being so 
generous with the time he allotted to this piece. You know, he, he, he said he was thinking about doing an 18-hour director's cut, and I, I pray that he does. But the chance to, to watch real genius at work at, at the height of their powers was something I honestly I found it breathtaking I mean I'm a huge Beatles fan I mean I, I grew up listening to them and, and in, in many ways they were my introduction to music but but to watch them you know write songs together and 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 develop songs together and and how they interacted it was it was a magical experience for me I I I, I say I watch one piece I've stopped myself every day watching the second piece because I, I said I was going to leave it a week between each one um it's it's wonderful. I cannot recommend it highly enough. If if you if you if you don't enjoy it, you've got no soul. <laughs> There's nothing I can say on top of that. So we'll just let that stand where it is. Grant, thank you so much, buddy. Uh, phenomenal discussion. Thank you so much for giving us so much time of yourself here. Uh, I am sure a lot of our viewers were already quite familiar with you, but I'm sure there's also some, this might be their first exposure to you. Where can folks go if they want to learn more about you and follow your work? Uh, thanks. Look, two places, uh, Twitter, um, at T-T-M-Y-G-H, and that's the, that's the acronym for my letter, Things That Make You Go Home, which I've been writing for 10 years. The rest of it you can find uh, on the website, grant-williams.com. Um, there's the, the podcasts are all on there. Uh, my my le monthly letter, Things That Make You Go Home, and, and my newly launched um, Gold Tier, which has a, a video interviews along the lines of the one we talked about with Tony. But um, uh, yeah, Adam, I think the best thing for me to do, if I, I wrote a piece, a letter, I think it was back in October or maybe September, um, called The Winds of Change, which, which took on this inflation deflation debate. So, you know, if anybody watching it wants to, uh, wants to read that, and I, I, you know, I, I quote liberally from Lacey Hunt about deflation and Russell Napier about inflation. And I think given the amount of time we spent talking about this, I think that would make a lot of sense for people to, um, to read that and get a get a broader sense of not just what I think about it, but what some of the some of the luminaries that we discussed think about it too. So I'll I'll send you that, and people can download that and have a read of it. Awesome, thanks, Grant. So, Grant, when I'm editing this, I will put up the URLs there to your Twitter handle, to your website, folks. Sure. I cannot agree, I cannot emphasize enough that uh, if you aren't already listening to Grant in his podcasts or watching his premium videos, you should definitely subscribe for those. Uh, for the piece that Grant just generally mentioned, he'll, generously mentioned that he'll share with us all here, uh, you can go download that right now at wealthion.com slash Grant. Grant, can't thank you enough. I know I've been keeping you away from your granddaughter and Jesus, you do not look old enough to be a grandpa yet, uh, my friend. <laughs> Uh, but I will let her get her grandpa back. Thank you so much for taking so much time for us, especially when it's later in the day, your time. It, always a pleasure, Adam. Always good to talk to you and uh, hopefully we can do it in person soon. Thanks, buddy. All right. Now we're at the time of the program where we talk to the lead partners at New Harbor Financial, the financial advisors officially endorsed by Wealthion and get their reaction to what Grant just said. John, why don't we start with you since you were out last week? What do you think about what Grant had to say? Yeah, thanks, Adam. Good to be back with you. Uh, Grant's always a, a wealth of perspective and information. Uh, you know, another another fabulous guest you brought on, Adam. A uh, lot of great takeaways there. You know, he, um, you know, I think rightfully has has uh, emphasized that we're likely in a in a paradigm shift here from uh, you know really forty years of disinflation to you know even even a short but uh, bursting period of inflation, even if the uh, disinflation um, trend re returns at some point. And, and that phase change, even if it's relatively short in the grand scheme of things, will, will likely 
unleash um, you know all kinds of havoc in markets and and um, you know really for the for the you know nuts and bolts takeaway for for your viewers and our clients you know really I think speaks to um, you know the reality that um, many of the strategies and approaches that have thrived with the tailwinds of lower interest rates and deflation at our backs are likely going to get turned on their heads and, and be exactly the kind of things that that falter in a massive way. And, you know, for example, one, one of the biggest themes of the last, you know, decade, several decades has been the adoption of passive investing, you know, just plow all your money into a passive index fund and let the market take you higher. Uh, th that works great in theory, but there is um, flaws in, in its own design. You know, so for example, if you look at the S&P 500 performance, I think over the last six months, I think five stocks in that whole sea of 500 stocks have attributed to something like 80, uh, 70 or 80% of the gains in the index. Uh, and the average stock has actually faltered. And what happens is these very few stocks can carry an index higher, but when those stock stocks start to falter under the weight of their, their own you know, extreme valuations, the exact opposite can happen in, in reverse. The, the um, parabolic gains that go up on the upside can become parabolic down moves on the downside. So one of his, you know, comments there is that the, the likely, um, you know, near-term future is, is really going to reward um, strategies that are different. And frankly, investment managers that actually have hands-on skills to, to undertake those strategies. And nothing about what he said and nothing about our approach, for example, is a shrink wrap solution, but rather the systems and the discipline to actually paddle through waters that are going to be constantly changing and not, you know, just, uh, you know, tailwinds at, at one's back. That, that was kind of one of the big takeaways I wanted to kind of highlight. Great. And, and that underscores what I'd mentioned to Grant, which was, um, you know, my sort of interpretation of what he was saying was, is we've had the ability for investors to ride a trend for a long time. And now we're, we're that trend is ending, maybe reversing, and we're going to be in a period where there isn't going to be a singular trend that rises all boats. It, you really are going to need a framework to be able to separate the wheat from the chafe, right? Um, and uh, and that's what I think active management brings, right? It's 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 the old old school gumshoe, roll up your sleeves, go through the financial statements of the companies, you know, find a sector that you think will do okay, but then go into that sector and try to find the gems. And avoid the dogs. And you know, as I think I told Grant, you know, investors have haven't had to really practice that much. You know, they could just buy an ETF, or they could pretty much throw a dart. And you know, with uh, with all the intervention, all the liquidity, uh, the tide that's rising all boats, you really couldn't lose. Um, so uh, you know, I made the joke about you guys sending a check to Grant because I feel like he just sort of really you know, put things up on the tee for you guys to come in and talk here, because that's exactly what you guys do. And I can't sort of lost track about how many times uh, Grant mentioned the word risk management uh, and how important he said that that's going to be going forward. And of course, that's your guys' bread and butter. And Mike, let, let me get your feedback. But for folks that are new who are watching here, maybe you could just spend a second sort of talking about, you know, some of the risk management tools that you guys use at New Harbor, because that's a huge part of your focus. Yeah, we've been talking a long time about how high we think the risks are in the current market environment. But the risks are exceedingly high. I mean, the valuations are by by many different angles and, and statistically reliable metrics. They're they're far beyond any other time in history. Well beyond 1929, beyond 1999 in the tech bubble, certainly quite a bit beyond, uh, far beyond the 2008 high of, of that housing bubble. 
So yeah, risks are extremely high. And so we talk about risk management. It's, it's easy to forget what it feels like to go through a big crash, which is surprising to us, seeing that we've had two of them in the last 22 years or so, the tech bubble, the housing bubble, and now the everything bubble. But maybe it's because everything gets bailed out every time that you start to you start to not worry about it anymore. Hey, it's taken care of, you know? Um, I'm not gonna worry about the big bad wolf because everything ends up fine because the, the Fed just prints money and makes everything go away. All the problems go away. So we talk a lot about risk management. There's a few different ways to do it. I won't take up too much time and go into all the details. We've got some other talks that we've done on hedging and whatnot about that. But the number one thing to do really is to just get somewhat out of the market. Don't stay passively invested. It's worked great for 10, I should say maybe 12 plus years, passively invested in the market. So the first thing to do is to think about selling some. Consider moving to cash. Don't be afraid that cash pays 0%. It holds value because it gives you the option or the choice to do something different. As we've said here many times before, consider getting equities down to one third or less, maybe 30% or less and, and hold some cash. You can also use options to hedge and um, we'd be happy to talk anyone through how to do that if they don't know how to do it. But we, we use a lot of options for hedging purposes, both selling covered calls and using puts. But the, the risk environment is incredibly high. Ironically, it's, it comes at a time where it feels like to many people that the risk has never been lower. So it's a particularly dangerous uh, juncture in history. Great. Um, and I just want to underscore, you know, when you say use options for hedging, there, there are multiple ways to use options. There are a lot of investors today that are using options uh, as purely speculative tools and um, taking on an excessive amount of risk, at least in my opinion. That is not the way that the guys at New Harbor use them. They use them more defensively, like, like sort of buying insurance the way that you would buy fire insurance on your house. Um, you know, Mike mentioned that there are a lot of tools that they use. We go into a lot of those in depth in this video here on how to hedge against a market correction. Uh, I'll put a link up to it right here. But if you're interested in learning more about that, go watch that video. It's only about, I don't know, 15 minutes or so, but it's a really good sort of introduction to all the different uh, ways you can protect your own portfolio, but it's also a good dial through a lot of the tools that the guys at New Harbor use. All right, guys, I want, I want to shift now to kind of the um, the emotional side of things, because it was really clear in talking to Grant that, um, you know, not only was he frustrated, and I think that's a kind word, by uh, the huge distortion that the central banks have um you know, inflicted on the system here that is making it so unstable uh, and filling it with, with so much excessive risk. Um, but, you know, he also inferred that, that or implied that, you know, investors are having a really tough time right now because it has been so easy. And if you haven't fought the Fed, you've done quite well. You've, you're probably sitting on a lot of nice gains over the years. And so the temptation is just to keep riding the horse that you've been riding. It sort of lulled people into this complacency that, you can't fight the Fed. The Fed is omnipotent and whatnot. And so I think I use the term sleepwalking, but a lot of investors today um, who are long, you know, are just sort of sleepwalking into greater and greater danger from a risk standpoint. And the ones that are that are paying attention to the data, you know, that's what Grant is saying. You got to look at the data. You, you can't you can't invest for the trend that you've had. You've really got to invest for the reality on the ground going forward as best you can calculate it. Um, there's a lot of investors that see the risks that Grant and you guys and I are talking about here, um, but they have, you know, either FOMO, right, which is the fear of missing out, where they, they, they don't want to give up those gains or if they've been sitting in cash, 
they don't want to uh, continue to do so and then watch everybody else continue to get, you know, get richer as time goes on here. And it's a really powerful psychological pull. And as we've said in previous um, videos here, it's super, super uh, common at the end. Uh, in fact, it's a classic indicator of a late stage uh, bubble cycle where it, it, its job is to get everybody off the sidelines and in before it then collapses. And, and I want to bring this up because it's it really is uh, it's angst that I know a lot of our viewers deal with, but it's it's angst that you guys deal with with real people all the time, um, both with the folks that are calling you from these videos, but with your existing clients. Um, so, John, why don't we go back to you real quickly? Um, how are you? How are you helping people when they call you guys and just say, "Look, guys, I'm 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 going crazy," you know, trying to take a conservative stance here because I see these people around me who really aren't thinking that much about this, and they're just trusting the market and, and doing great, and I don't want to be a sucker. Yeah. No, it's great. And, and this is really, I think, uh, where the human element of what we do, you know, we're Mike and I are, are in our team, we, we understand data, we understand markets, and market history, and nothing about that is, is you know, about pre predicting with precision. It's, it's nothing about investing is precise, uh, we'll be the first to admit. It's about looking at the big picture and planning and, and investing for not just today or tomorrow, but really what the goals of our clients are, which more or less, it's to live a comfortable financial secure life, you know, in a big, in a big picture way. But psych psychology is absolutely a major, major factor. And, and we're all human. We would be inhuman if we didn't have very strong psychological uh, compulsions. And, and I don't use that in a, in a derogatory way, that word. Um, bubbles themselves cannot happen without mass psychological um, confusion and 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 uh, delusion even that's that's why bubbles happen but um yeah, so a lot of our time spent and, and, and people when they you know individuals clients whoever you know uh, these kinds of episodes it's, it's very common to feel like you're all by yourself like hey am i the only one that's that's not all my neighbors are celebrating you know my my barber is talking about, you know, all the, all the great results they've had, even the, even the taxi driver, so to speak, you know, um, so so it, it becomes a very um, uh, it, it perceived by people that, that they're alone, they're the only ones that are wrong or 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 or, or that feel that caution is is uh, a penalty rather than a virtue in these times. So, uh, you know, the first thing we, we try to do is, is help them understand the data, but also to realize that they're not alone. We have uh, you know, vast majority of our clients are um, very concerned about markets and very embracing of defensiveness, even though it's, it can be hard when, when markets are in bubbles. So we, we end up being a, a, a coach in a lot of times just to help people feel like they're not crazy. Um, markets are crazy. They're not crazy. Um, and, and really to, to right size even expectations. You know, there's this, this kind of um, oftentimes a miss, miss um assessment of the risk and reward. You know, let me give you an example. You know, a common thing we might hear is, yeah, I know markets are, are overvalued, but, you know, if, if I go up 50% and I still lose 40, I'm still going to be ahead of the game. Well, that doesn't work out that way. If you do some quick math, you know, $100 with a 50% gain brings you to 150. Give that a 40% haircut. So you multiply by 0.6, you're at 90. So that round trip, what most people would, would simplistically say, I'm still up 10%. Well, no, you're actually down 10%. Um, because losses uh, work in a compounding way, just like gains do. And, and here's where the rubber meets the road to that basic proposition of what most clients need and want, that their 
hard-earned assets are protected so they can live off them the, as long as they should live. You know, the, 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 if one loses 10%, a very modest loss, it only takes 11% to get back to even, so to speak. Um, if, they, if you lose 50%, you need 100% subsequent return to get back to even. So this, you know, it, it's very often conveniently forgotten that these, you know, the, the mathematics of loss and gain are compounded in both directions. So it's not simple additive of plus and minus. It's, it's compound returns that oftentimes causes people to misassign risk and reward to, to a particular decision. All right, great. I actually want to add a little bit of science to that. Um, but first, I just just want to say, you know, for for you and I've been in this long enough to know that look, if if you if you've been playing defensively and watching the market continue to you know rise like it has over, the, especially over the past you know year and a half, you know, since all the uh, rescue packages started back in mid twenty twenty, um, you know. If you've been positioned defensively and watched everybody sort of ride that up, like you're only human to be feeling this FOMO pull, right? So, you know, I want folks to know, like, there's nothing wrong with you if you're wrestling with this emotion. We all are. We all are. Um, of course, what we're trying to do is just maximize people's long-term benefit, right? And John just went through some good math there. Um, the other science that I want to add on to this is um, uh, Daniel Kahneman is a Nobel uh, award-winning behavioral economist. And um, he has uh, he's developed an awful lot of, of uh, you know, sort of landmark theories in economics, but one's called prospect theory. And it basically provides the math underlying the psychology that we as humans, we experience the pain of a loss uh, twice as much as we enjoy the benefit of a gain. And, you know, market cycles flip between fear and greed. Um, I'd say in general, we've been stuck on greed for a long time right now. And greed is what drives FOMO. Even though they call it fear of missing out, it's really the, the greed of wanting to get those, those juicy returns. Um, but uh, you know, to your math, John, uh, even if you your portfolio say went up 50%, um, the joy you would have felt at being right then would have been um, more than or you know, twice as much uh, bled away from you in that subsequent 40% uh, correction. And, and it's what's sad about this, I've been in the investing game long enough to realize that, that this is very true. Like Kahneman's math is certainly borne out by our observations in the, in the real world. And it's a lesson, sadly, that most investors really just don't learn except by experience. Uh, and I hate to say that, but that's a big part of what we're trying to do here is trying to prevent as many people as possible from having to learn that lesson the hard way, um, you know, when when people uh, you know have good returns in their portfolios, yes, nice things accrue to them. But when bad things happen to their portfolios, and I know from our recent survey that a lot of the viewers of these videos, you know, are older people, um, they've got families to care for, but they're you know near the end in the second half at least of their professional lives, they don't have a lot of time to rebuild from here. So uh, anything we can do to kind of avoid the painful, perhaps even catastrophic losses of people, you know, losing their retirement nest egg uh, without having enough time to rebuild it back. Um, that's the mission that we're trying to accomplish here through all this stuff. Um, all right, Mike, let me, um, let me pass the football back to you here real quickly just to talk about markets. So, um, you know, just setting the context, uh, last week we saw a lot of volatility in the markets. We talked a lot about that. Uh, I think people on end-of-day close of Friday were sort of raising the question, oh my gosh, is this the tipping point for the markets? Is this where it all comes down? The headlines were screaming, you know, concerns. 
uh, everybody was worried that the new Omicron variant, you know, was going to send markets into a tailspin. And then we've had a very sharp, I was almost going to say face ripping, but very sharp recovery so far. What are you guys seeing in the markets right now? Yeah, I mean, this has been, you know, very similar to what we've been seeing all along for, for a long time, certainly this year. A slow drip, drip, drip down, followed by two strong days recovering all of the loss. It's just a, a market that's, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to go down and easy to go up, continues to be that way. You know, I want to mention, you know, one thing about what Grant Williams said earlier before I, I, I dig into some details about the market. He said the biggest risk to investors right now is a reconnection between the markets and the economy. You know, it doesn't sound like the doesn't sound like a market, really. I mean, it sounds like a a, uh, you know, kind of a contrived mechanism to force a certain outcome. And I think that's what we're seeing here, basically to force the notion of the or the, you know, the sense that everything is OK. We've got a mountain of debt. The Fed is all in. Other central banks are all in. Um, you know, just further to my risk discussion earlier, the biggest risk is that there's a reconnection, but it has always reconnected in the long term and always will. The timing is impossible. So what we're seeing in the market, just to dive into some particulars there, is increased volatility. We had, I think up through yesterday, there was seven days in a row that had close to 700 Dow point swings between the high and the low, seven in a row. Um, and we're just 1%, I think it's 1% off the all-time high right now. So, you know, a few other things. VIX, the volatility index, which is a measure of, uh, of risk in the market, went from, you know, 20-ish to 30 on just a couple percent decline in the S&P. The S&P was down maybe 4%. The VIX hit 30. It's, it's since pulled back pretty sharply to 22 or so. But the VIX is getting jumpy. No one's really noticing it quite yet. Um, Couple other things: high yield bonds have gotten tagged pretty bad. High, you know, high yield bonds have been trading near record low spreads relative to treasuries. It's a, it's a, you know, basically a signal that there's not much worry in the market. High yield or junk bonds often move before the stock market. We've started to see these in the most recent pullback. They move first, then the S and P came down four percent or so, not quite five. Both have since recovered, but not to their all-time high, certainly in the terms of stocks, but uh, high-yield bonds are actually further off their all-time high. So keep an eye on high-yield bonds and interest rates on high-yield bonds. We're looking at that too. Lastly, um, gold. Gold still remains in its consolidation, a triangle that we keep talking about right around 1780. It, it made a couple downside moves out of that triangle. We thought it was a shakeout before the, the bullish breakout. There was a breakout two weeks ago. But unfortunately, we're right back into the triangle with this most recent pullback. Uh, with, with negative real rates across the globe, the technicals lining up for what is looking like another bullish triangle breakout at some point here, we like gold. You know, we, we can't say for sure when any of these things will happen, but it makes sense to have a core position in gold, maybe 5 to 10% or even a little bit more of investable assets is what we recommend. Great. And certainly sounds like Grant agrees with you. He was saying, you know, commodities and the companies that produce them seem to be like one of the only bright spots in today's markets where you can find value that's not at crazy valuation multiples. Um, just to add on to your quickly, your points there, Mike, about high yield uh, rates and um, uh, 
uh, volatility. Um, you know, we've talked about on this program that um, when you know uh, when you see a reversal in a bull market, um, you're, you're likely going to see weakness appear at the fringes first and then make their way in, right? So you know, Apple stock. Uh, Google, those will probably be the last companies to falter here because they've been driving the markets, if, as you've said. So when we're looking at the periphery, like high yield junk, which for folks uh, who don't know, that's sort of the riskiest, uh, or high yield bonds, also called junk bonds, um, that, that's the riskiest debt that's out there. And as Mike said, you know, it's been trading almost as if it's as safe as, as US treasuries, which is insane. Uh, but now you're beginning to see those rates creep back up again, which is a sense, as Mike said, that people are beginning to get a little bit more worried about risk than they've been recently. Volatility, again, that's a measurement of risk. That's been jumpy, I think, to use your words, Mike. And then over the weekend, we had this massive sort of flash correction in the cryptocurrency space, um, which has recovered a little bit, but certainly not entirely. I think it's still the majority of the losses are still in place on, on almost every cryptocurrency across the board. Um, and again, that's a space, it's a highly speculative sector. So um, that's where we would expect to see some of the cooling off to happen first before it approaches kind of the core assets. So we're keeping our eye on all this really closely. Um, you know, is this uh, an exception or is this the beginning of a trend? Too early to tell, but we'll be watching this very closely. Well, guys, that's all the time that we have time here for. Uh, real quickly in wrapping up, folks, I want to remind you that Grant uh, very kindly is willing to share his latest presentation with us or his latest um, uh, sort of deep dive report on the great inflation deflation debate, which goes into a bit greater depth than he and I had a chance to. And he quotes a lot of great thinkers in there like Russell Napier, and uh, Lacey Hunt and whatnot. Um, you can get that right now for free by going to wealthion.com slash grant. So make sure you do that right as this video ends in a minute. Um, if you wanna see who's coming on in the future, just follow me on Twitter at, at Menlo Bear. Um, I also listen to any suggestions you guys have about which experts you'd like to see on this program in the future. We also do a little bit of music trivia sometimes at nights there and John Hussman plays a lot. Uh, Stephanie Pomboy chimes in and Grant, now you know, he's a big Beatles fan. Uh, I'm hoping he's gonna be making an appearance from time to time as well. So please uh, join me there. Um, if you uh, just underscoring exactly what Grant was most concerned about, um, if you, uh, want to find uh, an advisor who can be a good active manager of your portfolio, keeping in mind uh, all the factors here that, that Grant and I talked about, and then the folks at New Harbor here um, reinforced. If you don't already have a good one, Mike and John and their team at New Harbor are more than happy to give you a free consultation. Doesn't cost you anything. There's no commitment to work with them. They'll just review your personal financial situation, tell you what they think. You can either implement it yourself or you could maybe consider working with them. But if you're interested in that, stick around at the end of the video, it's coming up in just a couple seconds. We tell you how to schedule one of those consultations. It only takes you a couple seconds to do so. Uh, and then last, as always, if you enjoy these deep dive expert interviews, please help this channel attract even more viewers to these programs by clicking the like button and then subscribing to this channel and clicking that little bell icon right next to it. Thanks so much for watching. Mike and John, whatever happens next week, we'll be tracking it here together. Thanks for joining me this week and everybody else. Thanks for watching. Thank you, Adam. We'll see you soon. If you'd like to schedule a consultation with one of the financial advisors at New Harbor Financial, simply go to Wealthion.com. These consultations are completely free and there are no strings attached. The good folks at New Harbor will simply answer any questions you have about your investment goals or your portfolio 
and give you their best advice given their latest market outlook. They're willing to do this because they care about protecting people's wealth and because Wealthion has connected them with so many thoughtful investors just like you over the past decade. We started doing this because so many people have approached us in frustration, looking for a solution because they're feeling out of alignment or downright ridiculed by the standard financial advisors who have been managing their money. You know the type. The kind that just pushes all of your money into the market, scoffs at the idea of owning gold, and when you bring up concerns about the market's sky-high valuations, they say, don't worry, the market will always take care of you. For many of the reasons discussed in today's video, we think this is one of the most challenging and treacherous times in history for investing. We strongly believe that today's investors are best served working in partnership with a conscientious professional financial advisor who understands the risks in play. Now, we're agnostic which professional advisor you work with, as long as they're good. If you're already working with one, that's fantastic. Stick with them. But if you don't, or are having trouble finding one you respect or trust, then consider talking to John and Mike and the team at New Harbor. Now, for those about to ask, yes, there's a business relationship between Wealthion and New Harbor, which we put in place to make sure everything is handled according to SEC regulations. All the details on this are clearly provided on the Wealthion.com website. Also, it's important to note that New Harbor is able to work with U.S. citizens, green card holders, and those with existing assets in the USA. But for regulatory reasons, they aren't able to take on non-U.S. clients. All right, with all that said, if you'd like some insight and guidance on how to protect your wealth during this unprecedented time in the markets, go to Wealthion.com to schedule your free consultation with the good folks at New Harbor. Thanks for watching.